Welcome to the Melungeon Voices Podcast, presented by the Melungeon Heritage Association. My name is Liz Malone, podcast producer, and I'm here with the lovely Heather Andalina, the president of the MHA. Heather, what's going on with you this week? This week, Liz, we're speaking to Katia Ferris about a little-known syndrome that is connected to the Melungeon people. Interesting. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about Katia. Katia Ferris holds masters in ethnomusicology, as well as Jutisho, Vedic astrology. Originally from Hindustan, Indiana, she is a certified Jutisho Vedic astrologer, Middle Eastern dance artist, music producer, tarot reader, and master level Reiki healing practitioner. In today's episode, we learn more about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, commonly referred to as EDS, its symptoms, how someone manages life with EDS, and how this may have connections to the Melungeon people. Let's check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Melungeon Voices, and we have with us Katia Ferris. Hello, Katya. Hello. <laughs> All right. Well, we're just going to get right into it. Uh, I often like to start off with this question. Would you please share your personal story about your ancestry and ties to the Melungeon people? Basically, my mother is from Oklahoma, and she's from Tulsa. And um, growing up, I would always ask her about, you know, her grandparents and she would say, well, I didn't get to spend much time with them, especially um, her father's mother, Maggie, uh, because he was like the ninth child. And so they actually passed away when he was a teenager and he went to live with his eldest sister. So a lot of things got lost. Um, But she did tell me that um, on her father's side, which the surname is Walker. And that is a name, you know, used by, you know, white, black, and Indian peoples. So (laughs) that was a little vague. And I, several years, just kind of swept it under the rug. And then, you know, growing older, having my daughter and trying to explain to her what, you know, our family is, um, we started to do some more research. And um, she had always told us, or at least me, now my sister, uh, who's, um, seven years older than me, actually went to live in Iran for 15 years. And so when I was getting all of this information from my mom, she was overseas. And what she had told me was that we were Black Dutch, but don't talk about it, right? I think in the early 2000s, I got into a Yahoo group of the Black Dutch and found out that there are eight different kinds of black touch. It's something used again by several people to mean several different things. Uh, and one of them was cover for Melungeon. Uh, oh, and then my grandparents were, um, one was the quarter Cherokee and one was a quarter Choctaw, we were told. This was our oral history, right? Black Dutch, quarter each. I think in about 2009, I started the DNA tests and I've done six of them. And they all say something different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one that I did really 
seem to bring out the truth. And the company is called CRI Genetics. And it's their ethnicity estimate seems to be um, the most accurate. The other companies were taking out all of my Mediterranean and Native American blood and putting it as European, which, you know, I, I, uh, clearly, I mean, if you look at me, you know, you know that I'm something, you know, I'm not all white, you know, something's wrong here, right? And so um, I found the Melungeon group on Facebook and one of the lovely members pointed me to GEDmatch. And that just unraveled everything because, you know, those are the real scientific um, tests that we need to pay attention to. I found that a lot of these DNA companies are just kind of vague um, and they can only tell you what they have in their data bank. If they don't have, you know, DNA markers for certain areas of the world, it's not going to show in your ethnicity estimate. But GEDmatch has real scientists that are working on this data day and night and you know, I put my raw DNA file into um, their system and there's my Mediterranean blood. There's my Southeast Asian. There's my Native American. And it's all there in every single test that I've done there. And I also did hire Ancestry.com um, this past year. Uh, I hired them for 40 hours of work with their uh, pro genealogist. And they did find in the census records um, B for Black Dutch and, and P for Portuguese from our family that um, came from Chester, South Carolina. It's like untangling a necklace, right? Where is this information coming from and trying to sort out, you know, exactly for us what Black Dutch means? Because I have my master's in ethnomusicology and I study the music and music doesn't lie. <laughs> You know, words can be used to deceive, but music doesn't lie. And if you watch the documentary Rumble about the Native American influence on rock and roll, um, you'll see that blues music actually comes from the Southeast Native Americans. And so there's a lot of heritage that's been erased uh, for whatever reason. And so it's been a you know, long journey of trying to unravel exactly what this is. And so in this process, I've met a very distant cousin of mine, getting familiar with Brent Kennedy's work and looking at, you know, the disease he had, which was familial and, you know, comes from the Mediterranean. Uh, I said, well, I, what is it that we have that is um, in common? And she said, well, I've been going down this Ehlers-Danlos journey, right? So it's all kind of coming to a head where uh, I'm finding out not just about my ancestry, but about the um, health issues that have come along with it. <laughs> yes, Katya, let's go into that. You have a genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, also referred to as EDS. What are some of the symptoms and characteristics of this condition and what communities are affected by it? I think every race on earth probably has this tendency, but what from what I've observed, there seems to be a higher concentration of people from the Mediterranean and the Middle East that have this. I don't know why, um, but you can definitely see it in their dances and in their folklore. You know, I'm, I'm very bendy. <laughs> That's why I was able to belly dance for 26 years. It just seems like it's higher with Mediterranean people and North African, you know, all the whole Mediterranean area. And basically, 
Eller Stanlos was codified into 13 subtypes in 2017. Um, the most common one is called hypermobile EDS. And this one does not need genetic testing. This one um, can be diagnosed by looking at your injuries and your symptoms. Like for me, hypermobile means this is a connective tissue disorder, right? So your connective tissue uh, is what holds your joints together. It's what holds your cells together. There's, you know, it's all over your, it's the glue that holds your body together, okay? And when your connective tissue is super bendy, you can do great gymnastics, great dancing, et cetera, but you're going to injure yourself and then get more stiff later in life. And what happens is when you have loose joints, it's not necessarily that the pain is coming from the joint, although it will be very painful if you dislocate it or partially dislocate, like my knee I did last week. A partial dislocation is called a subluxation. That's painful. Yes. <laughs> but the real pain <laughs> comes from your muscles surrounding your joints that are trying to hold, you know, do the work of for two, right? They're trying to hold you up. So we get a lot of cardiovascular issues. Uh, there's a lot of pain associated with this. Um, and when you get a flare up, um, your whole body is affected. Um, for instance, last week when I dislocated my knee, um, it triggered uh, the degenerative arthritis of my hips, and which is above it. And then I have two broken toes on this side and a third one that's dislocated. And this whole side was just inflamed, right? And it just wears you out. Now, the other 12 types, gosh, I, I could, you have to go to the website to get all of the specific information. I'm just learning about this myself, but off the top of my head, there's vascular. Um, vascular will show with, um, the. this is the only one that has uh, uterine prolapse in the third trimester. There is uh, dental EDS where it affects, you know, your teeth. Well, like I said, just go to the website and you'll find all that information. But it's, you know, um, something that we're just learning about. And a lot of doctors that have been in the field for a while aren't as knowledgeable. Uh, and they can give you a misdiagnosis, for instance, of uh, fibromyalgia. That's very common. Um, and that is concerned with the joint, right? That is pain from the joint. Um, so we get misdiagnosed all the time. We get gaslit all the time. Oh, it's all in your head. Uh, we gaslight ourselves because like as kids, you know, I was on swim team and I'd come home exhausted and the adults would be like, well, can't you keep up with your cousins? You know, why are you so tired? <laughs> and so you learn to not speak up and you learn to uh, gaslight yourself. And it turns into like, now I'm, you know, 52 years old and I'm just now finding out about this. So I'm so glad that, you know, like my daughter has it as well. And so we're going through the same, you know, um, genetic testing. You have to go to a rheumatologist, which will, um, send you to a geneticist. And that's where they do the chromosome testing because it's, it's in the chromosomes where you can see it. You know, they, they've, said there's 13 subtypes. I think there's probably more like 25, you know, a couple of these can branch off, um, but we're just learning. And so it's just been wonderful being in the Facebook support group because people come in and, and they tell their stories. And, and I've asked, I've noticed with some of the last names I've seen the in the group and I see where they're from. 
And I've asked a few of them, oh, do you, you know, do you have Indian or Melungeon heritage? And nine times out of 10, they say yes. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just something that I'm seeing because, you know, I'm drawn to seeing that. But a good example of this is Elvis Presley. Um, he is the poster child for vascular EDS. This is why he was in so much pain. It wasn't just drug addiction because of depression. Uh, he was in actual physical pain. He and his mother both have the classic vascular EDS symptoms. She died at, I think, 46. He died at 42. Um, the average lifespan for vascular is, I think, 52. You know, they have very large eyes. That's very typical with um, vascular. Uh, there's a whole article on the painnetworknews.com. If you just search Elvis Presley, Pain Network News, the article will pop right up and um, it will blow your mind because poor Elvis, you know, I mean, he was just a workhorse, right? They just worked him to death. Um, and he was just trying to survive with a disease that he didn't even know that he had. But and he also has Melungeon heritage. So it's like, you know, hello. And he's super bendy. That's the thing. You know, that's how he could do all of those gyrations and dance moves that he did on the stage was because he had a connective tissue disorder. <laughs> yes, I've heard that he I have heard that that he has Melungeon ancestry. And, you know, and this comes back to, um, you know, definitions and terminology you know, a lot of, you know, I've been doing some research on JSTOR, which is the academic um, online um, source for academic journals. And you can search anything and it'll show you all the journals. And there's quite a few, you know, articles on Melungeons. Um, and it seems that there are two groups. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong, because again, I'm just learning about this, but it seems like there are people that say that, you know, Melungeons are just white with black, that they are these certain family names and they come from this very certain area. And there seems to be another group that includes people that don't necessarily have those names or they may be there in there somewhere, but it's not as prominent, but there's more Native American ancestry. And there seems to be, you know, people that don't want to accept the Turkish definition. So maybe you could expound upon that a little bit. We do have, you know, everybody has a different family story. And, and you're right, you know, you do have these core surnames, these core locations where there were Melungeon settlements, but there are many, as you, as you know, many surnames that are connected to Melungeons or even just mixed, mixed heritage. I have DNA connections to Lumbees. You know, so I know that the Melungeons, clearly the Melungeons and Lumbees must, we, we share some common ancestors. I, so, and there's another thing that I kind of want to throw out there for people to chew on. Because the Nat the Southeast Native Americans have been swept under the rug and their culture has been tried to be made invisible and almost erased, right? Some of the, the thinking of where the Southeast Native Americans came from was not necessarily over the land bridge from Asia, but that they came across the Atlantic from the Mediterranean, or at least some of them. And then once they got here, they mixed. And, and you can even see it in the language, you guys, because um, there are some words in Basque 
that um, are similar to words in uh, ancient Mayan. And the theory was that it was the mound builders, that they actually were people that came across the Atlantic. And those are the ancestors of the Cherokee, the Iroquois, you know, all of the tribes in the Southeast. Um, And so it could be that what we're seeing in the DNA through GEDmatch is actually Native American, but because we don't have the DNA markers for all the tribes, a lot of them don't want to give up their DNA markers and you cannot blame them, but our, our research is incomplete without having it. And I think that um, we need to have a redefinition of uh, what Southeast Native American is, you know, <laughs> it, could be part, it could be part Mediterranean. It's not just the sailors coming across the sea. And that's just, you know, that is the, you know, um, I mean, you just can't be, I hate to say it, but you just can't be, you know, white enough for Appalachia, right? Everybody's trying to fit in. And that was one of the problems I had with um, just the strict terminology of Melungeon is just these families and just this type of DNA uh, because we're excluding a lot of people, a lot of people that are looking for their, for their heritage. We've already been excluded, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yes. let's not exclude uh, people that are also searching. I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's a necklace with a big fat knot in it. And we've got to lay it down on a glass surface and get a couple of needles out and just separate these strands and untangle it. <laughs> Oh, I agree. And I want to go, I want you to elaborate a little more on sharing some insight in the uh, Trail of Tears and your family's connection to the Trail of Tears. Uh, yeah. Right. And, and there's a, there is a Melungeon connection. Yes. So yeah, I'd like yes. to elaborate on that. Sure. Well, when I was working with the pro genealogists at Ancestry, um, the first woman I got was just fantastic. And she also had Melungeon heritage. And so we're looking at my mother's father's side, the Walkers, and um, she's like, oh, your great-grandmother remarried after your great-grandfather died. And I said, yes, because they were like 10 years apart, right? Um, and he died early in his 50s. And so she went off and she married a man by the last name of Goins. Mm, Hello. That's yes. one of the five <laughs> names, right? Yes. And so she says, wait a second. She would not be marrying a Goins unless she were also Melungeon at that time. Because it was this was like early 1900s, right? Okay. Like people just didn't really marry outside of their family. Well, by that time, she was in Norman, Oklahoma. But she had come from a settlement of families in uh, Waxahachie, Texas, which is North Texas. And they went back. Uh, on Ancestry to the settlement and looked at the names and they were like, yes, this very well could have been a Black Dutch, you know, I'm putting air quotes, Black Dutch, um, Melungeon settlement. Just looking at the names, there was lots of walkers, there was a Goins, there was some other. So these people had known each other. And then when they moved up into Oklahoma and my great grandfather died, it was very natural for her to marry somebody from that group. And she said, well, there you have it. This is 99.9% proof that their family's hiding them, you know, using Black Dutch to hide Melungeon. When I went, because I always questioned like, you know, well, what do Cherokee people really look like? Because, you know, even by the time they walked on the Trail of Tears, there were very few full bloods. Most people were like three quarters or half. 
And uh, I was recently driving through Hendersonville, North Carolina. And it was just a total fluke because we were supposed to be staying the night in uh, Knoxville, but there was a big crash up on 40. And so we had to stop in Hendersonville. And we were staying at this hotel and I met this, uh, the woman who was the breakfast manager and she was telling us about the area and she said, oh, and I'm Cherokee. She said, I'm a hundred percent Cherokee. She was just the cutest thing. We just talked, talked and I'm looking at her. I'm like, oh my God. I can see my mother in her. I can see it in the the hairline. I've always associated the widow's peak, you know, with a Native American. Her hairline was very round. She was um, very small in stature, not just short, but like petite. And I, I told her about my family and she looks at me and she looks at my cheekbones and she goes, oh, you have redness. Uh, in the center of your face at the, you know, right where um, your cheekbones come in. She said, that's a sign of Cherokee. I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and she was so kind. She was so welcoming, you know, because she had stayed behind, right? The the uh, natives that have moved into Oklahoma and the reservations, um, you know, they lived, you know, very, very difficult life. And a lot of them are not very welcoming to people that are mixed which again, you can understand why I'm not judging, but you know, I've just experienced that. So it was really nice to, you know, meet somebody that was hundred percent that was like welcoming and accepting of, of me being of mixed heritage. We're going to be starting to wrap up and Katya, where can our listeners learn more about you, your work and your music? Well, I've got a couple different websites. Um, I am a retired Middle Eastern dancer. Uh, because of all of my injuries with EDS and uh, the other comorbidities, um, I've had to retire. I just, 26 years, my feet are shot. Uh, but I love music. And I've been working with an Arab music producer in Detroit We've already put out one CD. Uh, it's called Raksat Katya. Raksat means dances. So it's dances of Katya. And it's um, about half of it is drum solos. And then we did some really lovely melodies as well. And it's music that I dance to. And I we did this because I feel it's important to record the music that is going on in this time. A hundred years from now, they're going to be really happy, you know, that we've <laughs> been documenting this process, right? Things change fast. And, um, you know, some songs get lost. Uh, and so we're working on a second CD right now. This one is going to be all melodies. And we have pulled out of the closet some songs that have not been heard in forever. Some that some people have never even heard. And I really think dancers are going to enjoy it. And these, all the music is in like a classic Egyptian style. It's like not like the modern music that's played in Egypt, which is a lot of it is based on hip hop. You know, when I try to describe uh, an Arab nightclub to people, I say, well, you remember those, you know, mambo clubs of the of the 50s, like Lucy, right? Oh, yeah. I love Lucy and Desi Arnaz. And they had the big band up there and everybody came dressed to the nines and it was fancy. Those are like the Arab nightclubs, uh, at least the old, you know, the old fashioned ones, right? We have a live band and you have a whole table, whole tables full of families, right? It's a family event. And so I wanted to capture that music because it's changing fast. 
And all of that can be found, plus all of my academic articles. When I um, got my master's in ethnomusicology, I wasn't interested in pursuing my PhD, but I wanted to keep keep doing the research on my own and keep producing the music. So the website for that is katiaferris.com. Since then, I've gotten a second master's in Jyotish, which is Vedic astrology. It's astrology from India. Jyotish means the science of light. And I got that in 2018. And so since then, I've been working as a professional Vedic astrologer, which I've been obsessed with since I was a little girl. Like I did Western astrology starting at nine and uh, with my mom, she's the one that had all the books in the house and I would just pour over them, you know, (laughs) just like a, like a sponge, just soak it up. Right. (laughs) And I've been doing it, you know, myself all this time. And I was like, I think it's time to get certified and, and really do this because I've been doing tarot for years just doing this as a hobby. And I, I said, you know, my feet have failed me. And so yeah. it's time to let's, let's do this. And so that website is hindustanastrology.com. And it's Hindustan because I live in Hindustan, Indiana, and people just go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Where does that name come from? Well, it turns out that the little village that I live in, it's about nine miles north of Bloomington, was sacred ground to the Native Americans around here. And you can see why, because there's two streams that come together and there's a lot of fresh water. And it's just, it's very, it's the highest point in the county. And it's just, it's very peaceful and serene up here. And I learned from uh, a local who was a tow truck driver for my husband that his family's property has a mound on it. They've had this property for over 200 years. They've never talked about it. But there is a mound not far from here. The White River is not very far. So anyway, it's very it's very sacred area here. And so I decided to name my astrology company after it. There's been a lot of uh, Melungeon um, information on TikTok. And one of them was talking about, you know, it's Melungeon folklore that this is called the dog days of summer because the star Sirius is high in the sky in the summer. And that's true. And that's another clue in to it, a tie being made to the Middle East, because astrology, as we know it, like the Western astrology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that actually came from ancient Persia. You know, Alexander the Great didn't just burn down Persepolis. He also burned down Persian astrology <laughs> and he took it back to Greece and they dissected it and did their own thing with it. It's a long story. But anyway, there is a tie Uh, I see there in the folklore and then also in the music. And this was something that I wanted to, you know, we were talking before. Um, I wanted to to bring to the table because I've spent so much time with Turkish people. Um, They're just some of my best friends and they always thought, oh, well, she's, you're at least half something, right? You've got to be Turkish or Lebanese. I get that a lot. You're Lebanese, right? Uh, because my name, and that's another thing, my maiden name, Ferris, is actually Scots-Irish for me, but it's also Lebanese. It means knight or horse specialist, and it means that in Arabic and in Gaelic. So, you know. That's interesting. I'm telling you, it's deep. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I don't know if we're ever going to figure out. But what I wanted to talk about was, you know, like we were saying before, a lot of people disregard um, Brent Kennedy's research about, you know, saying that Melungeons are part Turkish. And I proposed one 
you know, one um, theory that it's actually on the Native American gene pool. But there's also something else we need to consider, and that is that if these were Turkish sailors coming across the ocean in the 17th century, we shouldn't be calling them Turks, we should be calling them Ottomans. It's a very specific time in history. Turkey's a very big country. Saying someone is Turkish is like saying they're American. It's, it's a mix. So if we came from Çeşme, Turkey, the Asian would be in there, but not just a little bit. Mostly people that are from this area have a lot of Greek. They have a lot of Bulgarian in them. And if they're sailors, the Ottomans were taking Italians all the time and taking them as slaves. There's an Italian component component there too in Eastern Turkey. Um, and then, of course, you've got Cypriot and Lebanese, you know, for sailors, this is the area that they're going to cover. Those uh, races are going to show up more than the what we maybe today would consider Turkish, which would be more from Eastern Turkey. You know, of course, you're going to have Armenian, um, Georgian. Um, there's going to be more of the Asian component because as the Turco-Mongol tribes swept across Anatolia, um, it lessened as they moved across and moved to the Mediterranean. There's a stronger concentration in the East. So for me, the way my DNA came out was about 12% Italian, 9% Bulgarian, uh, like 1% uh, East Indian Tamil. Um, and then there's the Native American that was about 1% or one and a half or something. And then there was a South uh, East Asian in a lot of the GED match uh, tests that you run. Now, these test parameters are for all different things, not just your ethnicity estimates. Some of these tests are for, you know, how much hunter-gatherer do you have versus farmers, you know, but there's definitely a Southeast Asian and even Oceanan. I get Oceanan in my GED match. Um, so these are things that people need to consider when they throw around this word Turkish. Well, what kind of Turkish are you talking about? Okay. And what part of history are you talking about? Because if we follow the story that these sailors were in Spain, Spanish Inquisition happened, they were Muslims, they got kicked out, they went to the Canary Islands, West Indies. West Indies is actually in my uh, folklore uh, from, that my mother told me. She said, well, that we're Black Dutch, but we also came from the West Indies. And then landed on the shores of Virginia. There's a lot of mixing going along there. And so you have to consider the time in history when you're talking about using the word Turkish. Because what it is today is not the same. Now, I do have a very good friend of mine who uh, is uh, an Ayurvedic specialist. She's from Turkey. Her father is from uh, Mersin, which is in the south. Uh, like right on the Mediterranean, it's much closer to Syria and Lebanon and Cyprus. And she's going to do her DNA and we're going to put it into the Jed match and match it up with mine. And we're going to see the differences. It's, I'll keep you tuned. It's, it's going to be really, really interesting because, you know, she wants to help me unravel this too. <laughs> that is awesome. Please do. I definitely want to know about that. Katya, this has just all been so fascinating, what you've been sharing with us. And um, and I just want to, you know, thank you for coming on our show and sharing with us all this wonderful information. And thank you for taking the time 
out of your busy schedule uh, to, to interview with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, I really um, have been looking forward to this and, you know, just hoping that everything flows and, you know, that uh, the information gets out to people because I, I'm seeing um, a lot of people just so interested in finding out now about their heritage and and also you know with the flooding in eastern kentucky you know i'd really like to send out my you know heartfelt condolences to everybody that has lost loved ones and this is you know the area that our, our family came from it's we're kind of all coming together now and it's it's a really beautiful thing so thank you so much and i look forward to speaking with you again You've been listening to the Melungeon Voices podcast. On behalf of myself, Heather Andalina, and the entire MHA Executive Committee, we'd like to thank all of those who participated in making this episode possible. For more information, you can visit them on the web at melungeon.org. That's M-E-L-U-N-G-E-O-N dot O-R-G. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of the MHA. Melungeon Voices is presented by the Melungeon Heritage Association. All rights are reserved.